0: Verse 17 through 32, we're going to go ahead and finish up that chapter, Ephesians 4. So again, we're in the second part of the, the what to do. Part of Ephesians. Uh, you know, as you guys go through, and I know, how many of you guys like studying the Bible? Yeah? I figure all of you guys, because you showed up tonight, right? Because we're going to kind of study. What can be more important than studying the Bible? There is actually something more important than that. Yeah, obeying it. Go figure. It's not just something that we just read, but it is something that we apply to our lives that we obey. And this is one of those parts of Scripture that really can hit us hard because maybe there's some stuff that we have not put off. We haven't left behind. We haven't taken those grave clothes off all the way. And we're still trying to drag them along and wear them. And what's going to be going on and what we're going to go through is just talking about like it's time to put on the new man Foley. It's not, you know Don't keep putting on some of the old things and, and keeping them with you. And some of us have even deceived ourselves into thinking that we've completely rid of ourselves all. So tonight is one of those times where it's great just to look back and say, you know, am I still into this stuff? Do I still do this? Is this a constant in my life? Is this something I need to take before the Lord? Because it's what the people of the world do, and I shouldn't have any part of it anymore, because I've moved on. I'm in this new man that he's created for me to live in. And so that's what we're going to get into tonight And it's one of those things, you know, those first three chapters, we talked about what Christ has done for us. And so in these ones, it's kind of like, okay, what can we do for Christ? What would he have us do? And this is one of those parts that it's very clear. It's, you know, he says, leave. Stop walking like the Gentiles. And so there's a lot of encouragement here, and there's a lot of things to really open our eyes and to see, you know, is my life looking like a Gentile store? They, They said the Gentile back then, they would be referring to, is it still like an unbeliever, a person of the world, or the unsaved? Is when, every time they reference the gen, you know being like a Gentile, and so the question would be tonight: Is are we being doers? And you guys know James one twenty two says, "But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." And I'm so happy he put that in there because there's so many times that we do deceive ourselves that we figure, you know what? I do all these things, I do the right stuff, I hear the right things, I try to apply the right things to my life, but very rarely do we stop and go before the Lord and say, Lord. I'm going to put my life out before you. Please show me the stuff that's keeping me from getting closer to you. It's keeping me from recognizing that I am fully in you and that I have all of the stuff that you've given me. I have all the tools. I have the strength that you've given me. I have the direction. I have the path that's already been laid out before me. What is distracting me from all these things and keeping me from you? And I think very rarely do we go before him with that, right? Like usually it's it's we go to him about praise. We go to him with thanks. We go with uh, you know our shopping list. We go... The different things, but this should encourage us to go and be doers, to, to look at ourselves, not to deceive ourselves and to actual do what the things that he's asking us to do in the scriptures. And so we'll go ahead and start reading in verses seventeen through nineteen in chapter four of Ephesians. It says this I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness in their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And Lord, we do want to just be taught by you tonight, Lord, and, and what the, the new is that we are to put on, Lord, this, this awesome gift that you've given us, and what that looks like to walk it out. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would just search our hearts tonight, that you would rid us of the things that we keep going back to, that sin, Lord, the things that keep us from you and keep us from growing closer to you, Lord, and I ask you just help us out, Lord, because we can 't do it with ourselves. you know our flesh lies to our <laughs> to us to make us seem like we 're a better person than we really are, Lord, and uh, Lord, we don 't want to come to you with um, a falseness, you know we don 't want to grieve your spirit, Lord. you know that're uh, where, where, where our spirit is, Lord, we want to be so close to you, and that flesh and the world keep getting in our way and the enemy, Lord, so we pray you just help us, give us the strength. And, um, Lord, just the guidance that we need, that we'd recognize it. And we love you, Lord, and thank you so much for your word and your scriptures, Lord, and how it's living. And we praise you, Lord. Amen. So he says, of course, and we've gone over that word before, this I say, therefore. And that therefore is always referring back, and it's reaffirming, isn't it? So he's saying, okay, guys, listen up. Therefore, because of the stuff I've already talked about, here's what the action is. Therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk in, as the rest of the Gentiles. And there's very few negatives in the Scriptures. And what I mean by negative is that it says that you should no longer walk. That these are the no's. You know, there's very few times it will actually use those words in there. It's interesting. And this is one of those spots in Scriptures where it says, hey, don't walk like that anymore. Don't walk like the unbeliever. Don't walk like the unsaved. And then so as you go through, it has three different things that talk about and the differences between what the saved and the unsaved would be. And so right in this first part... He starts talking about what the unsaved look like. He says, don't walk like them, and I'm going to show you. Here's what they look like. This is to go back and check your life. And it wasn't just to say, hey, they're, they're evil. Stay completely away from them. He was wanting them to do a self-check on their lives, to look at it and evaluate. So don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles, and the futility of their mind is the first one. And then the futility of their mind, what would that be? That would be vanity, right? The vainness. Don't walk in, in, without purpose. Don't walk with, like what the world says. The, world, the people in the world have no point to their life, do they? If you really look at it, what would a person in, in this life without Christ, without the knowledge of God, what purpose would they serve except for to be a pawn? I mean, everybody out there, what they do is they, they look for making their world better, right? And they might even extend it to other people and trying to make the world good better for everybody else. But in the end of it, they want to make the world better for themselves. They want self to be better. And that's the whole end goal. Anything out there, if you guys look at somebody and evaluate their life without Christ, their worldview is somehow to get them from A to B, and they don't really, you know, anything in the middle, it's kind of like whatever I have to do to get there. And you find all kinds of different sorts. There's the ones that will definitely use other people to get to that point, there's the ones that will try to look very humble and, and very careful because they still want to have that glory of being a good person to get to that point. And so there's a different varieties of these things, but the whole thing is, is that they have a pointless life. And I know that's a harsh thing, and you think, wow, that's pretty bold to say that people have pointless life without Christ. But really, if you have a creator that's created you and you want nothing to do with him, well, then what are you doing? Where, where is your end goal? I mean, what is your purpose then? A creation does not have a purpose in serving itself. It was created for a purpose. And it's unfortunate the lies that are just spun to our kids in the schools and, and the different things that the world will tell you that, you know, really, in the end of it all, it's just by chance. It's, uh, it's things crashing together and oops, and, and all of a sudden you have karma in the middle. And uh, hopefully you come out on top. But if you had a bad past life, probably not. So you're going to be worse off. I mean, it's just a whole jumbled up mess of everybody trying to figure things out and to see how do I get to these points. And so where's the purpose in their life? Not knowing God equals no full knowledge of the world around the unsaved, which in turn equals that there's no understanding of self. If you don't want to know God, how can you know his creation? And guess what? We're part of his creation, so how could you even understand yourself? And so that's why people are lost. That's why people spin out of control and try to do different things to make this life better or even to have more fun in this life. And you can ask them, and every one of them knows that you know, when the, those thoughts that go through their heads, and maybe you guys had them before, before you came to Christ, as you just sat there alone, wondering, <laughs> what is this all about? What purpose is this serving? You know, I'm going to get wasted the next morning or the next day. I'm going to feel horrible in the morning. The next day, I'm going to get wasted again. And it's just this endless cycle until that finally stops. And you guys know in your old lives that when you came to that point, it was an exciting thing of finally just turning over and saying, I have to be after the Creator. I have to serve. I have to seek Him. I want to be after Him. I want to chase Him. Now, the difference with the saved, so that's the unsaved. Now, the saved is when we come to Christ, our values change, don't they? And you'll see it right away. The values change what you value in this life, the goals that you have completely change. Whereas before, maybe the goals were buy as many things, make your family as happy as possible with stuff. Because especially here in America, that's what we're taught, is that things, bigger houses, more stuff, the bigger the better, the, the extra, you know. however, the, the, the better motorcycle or the, the better this or that, whatever appliance you need in your kitchen, it's going to make your life better. And so that's what's sought after. It's just a continuous, I don't really care about debt, I just have to have that stuff because I'm gonna be happier with it. And we all know that as you get those things, then you want more or you want something different or there's a new gadget that's out there that's even better and so it's got more technology, I gotta have that. And it's this endless thing of just going after it and before long, you're buried in this debt, buried in this hopelessness and then all of a sudden we start losing things and then all of a sudden maybe it's stripped away And it's just, how can people keep living like that until you die? Very pointless. And so our goals change, and our worldview change is, doesn't it? Our whole worldview when we come to Christ changes, because then it becomes all about Him and serving His purpose. And we look at what He wants to do. So even in those things, maybe the Lord's blessed us with great jobs, and we have plenty of finances. We have that. And then you start wondering, okay, I know who gave me this. I know who gives me the health to be able to have this. And then we start maturing and we start asking God, what do you want me to do with this? Because I've already been there and I know that stuff doesn't bring me, well, it brings a little bit of pleasure. I mean, yeah, you know, some motorcycles are pretty cool, but <laughs> but it's, it's always I want something more. So Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Do you want me to turn away from it? Do you want me to go on this? I don't know if you guys have heard the story of Wes Bentley or even know who that guy is. Have you guys ever heard of far-reaching ministries? He's one of the first ministries to go down to Sudan and help those kids out that were having to uh were part of the LRA. This is a while back, this back in like 2000. Wes Bentley, he I gotta hear him talk one time and he came and talked about his life and his direction. He, he was in his um his Bentley, he had a Bentley, and he had a very successful job out in California. He's making, you know, three figures, way over, doing great, had his own business car, everything was paid for, beautiful home and everything. And as he's driving through the, the traffic jam one day, he, just, he wanted to be home with God. And he just prayed out and he said, God, I want to just be home with you. And he didn't mean be in heaven with him. He just wanted to be at home with God. And I remember him saying that because then the thing is, then the Lord challenged him and said, okay, give it up. Quit everything. Quit your job. Give your car back. Sell your house. Quit everything. I have something for you. Didn't say what he had for him. I mean, that's a lot to walk away from. That's a lot of security, false security to walk away from. And he ended up going out there and starting up Far wrenching Ministries and building up these awesome camps where the kids were able to come in and they would actually, it was pretty cool because he was an ex-SEAL, and they would actually train up the locals to be able to fight off the LRA because they'd come in and try to raid and try to get the women that were inside this complex and they would actually have battles. That's what he went into. Pretty exciting life compared to, you know, signing papers and writing in your cool car on a, in a traffic jam. So... Neat life that changed there, but the things that were given up in this guy's mindset and his whole worldview, his goals, his values have completely changed because he wanted to be home with the Lord. There's no fertility of mind. There's no vein in that mind. And so that life life has a purpose. um, With the people outside of it, they have no idea what they're missing out on, do they? That there is no purpose. They don't understand... With the world and what self are all about. And so the next one, reading on in Ephesians, is the understanding. In verse 18, it says, having their understanding darkened. And this is another one of those sad ones. If you guys turn over to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, this gives a little bit more insight. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. talking about that darkened eyesight or or not being able to see, being in that darkness. It says in verse 3, it says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Christ's sake, or for Jesus' sake. For it is the God for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light or the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And looking right there in that verse, in verse 4, it says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. I started thinking about that. What do you guys think the God of this age would be? It's the devil, but if you look at it in the idolatry that was back then, you know, they had their names for their gods, and we know that Satan was behind every single one of them. But to classify it in our age, what would you say the god of this age would be? Where is the most time spent every day? Media, right? Technology. Okay, here's some pretty crazy things that I looked up on the internet. I wanted to see how many hours were spent. Watch this. This stuff's just nuts. So the god of this age, you could say it's media. Well, I went over... And uh, CNN took a report from a place called Common Sense Media that took a national sample of more than 2,600 young people, their truth and what they do in their lives with their phones and their media, and it was ages 8 to 18, okay? And they found that the teens spend an average about nine hours a day on media, Nine hours a day. We usually are awake for 15 hours. Nine hours a day is the average for a teenager in America. That is a lot of hours spent. I would definitely say it's the God of this age. The other thing is is that the 8 to 12, the tweens, if you guys have heard that term, 8 to 12-year-olds are spending six hours a day. Crazy. That many hours. Now this is listening to music, this is watching YouTube, this is going on to social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, this is checking all that stuff. Another one that I looked up, I went on to digitaltrends.com and they had also done uh, uh, a little research and they found out that Americans spend an average, just Americans in general, spend an average of 4.7 hours on their phone a day. 4.7 hours. you're like, oh, whatever, you know, that's all right. Well, 15 hours a day... And I just wonder how could we say that most Christians spend five hours a day with God? <laughs> I mean, I don't even, I can't say that about my own life. And it's just it's staggering. We look at this, it's average, and we might say, Well, there's no way I spend four point seven hours. But it's just a thing that wake us up. Where are we spending our time at? The highest usage was in, and this is funny because we always want to blame it on the youth, like it's their fault. The highest usage was in ages 25 to 54 for using that. Now, the U.S., what they found out was that 17 times a day people checked their social media. That's just checking your Twitter, your Facebook. 17 times a day is the average. That's basically, that's once an hour checking out and looking at it. Now, the U.S. isn't way up there because it was another search in, I can't remember, there's like five other countries uh, Argentina, Thailand, I think it was, it was two of them. They spend 40, they do it 40 times a day checking the social media. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a, it's a thing across the board. It's all over the world in this thing and, the, and what's going on and the time that's invested there. My point being is that with all this going on and looking at this and seeing that that is the God of this age, and then when you read that again, it's talking about the God of this age has blinded them. Just think about what, you know, we look at all that time that's invested. What is it being invested in? I mean, are those all, you know, great sermons? Are those the Uplift YouTube videos, you know, humanity, Hope and Humanity videos? Or is that? I don't think so. You know, is that people uplifting each other with verses across on Twitter? And, you know, and I'm not saying people don't do that, but the, the majority, and I know with, with the youth out there, that's not happening. Just think about the stuff that's just being fed over and over again. And this generation that's coming up and what the thought is behind it, what they're taking as truth. And that's why it's so easy for them to completely turn away from God and even people now in this generation to completely turn their eyes from Him because the God of this age has informed And that's where the most time is invested is in this false, these lies. And so it's easy to see why their understanding has been darkened. They can't see the truth very well. And then the third one, back over there in Ephesians, is that they've, let's see, in verse 18, so having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Alienated. You know, isolated, estranged, or alienated when they use it in law terms is to transfer ownership to another. (laughs) It's interesting because it's being alienated from the life of God. You know, being kicked out of that garden, but that wasn't the complete separation. It was the sin that was brought in. That's where the alienation came. There was no restoration there. And now it gives some reasons as you read on, and it says because, and it's the because. Why has this happened? Well, it gives you two different becauses. It says because of their ignorance and in verse nineteen or in verse eighteen. It says being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, and that ignorance. One of the quotes I don't know if you guys knew who Wayne Dyer is I don't but you know he said a quote so he says the highest form the highest form of ignorance is when you reject something you don't know anything about and ignorance I always took it in everything that I looked up and, and ignorance is actually a willful desire or, or planning of not to observe or to research what you don't want to agree with And I always thought ignorance is something that, you know, oops, I didn't really understand what you meant. That's not what it is. The ignorance is willfully they don't want to understand. There is no seeking that happens because we know that God promises in his scriptures if you seek him, what's going to happen? He promises that we'll find him. You get to see people that have been led to the Lord, they started seeking after, they wanted to know him, and they found him. And he's done powerful things in their lives. So with the ignorance, it's not something that, oops, they didn't really understand what they're doing. It's that they willfully did not want to understand. It says because of the ignorance that is in them, that's why they've been alienated. That's why they have their understanding darkened. That's why they have a vanity in their mind. There's no purpose to the thoughts going on in their mind and their goals and, their, and, and the things that they're after. And then the other because is because of the blindness of their hearts. If you guys look over at Romans one twenty one, Romans one twenty one basically is, is an extended version of what it's talking about here in the Scriptures. I know you guys have gone over this. This is a very uh, referenced part of Scripture, especially in this chapter 1, in talking about and understanding people that have completely written off God. But just looking at verse 21 of Romans 1, it says, "...because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful." But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that right there shows that it was a process. That this process that took them, that they they didn't want it anymore. They were taken there. They're going off into their foolish hearts, were darkened. And it's an interesting thing. This one goes right along with you know what's said in there in verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. And when you read all of the part of there Going back over to Romans in verse 22, this is professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. That's what lewdness is. Lewdness is seeking after sexual desire, but it's to, even what the world standards is, a wrong desire, a wrong way. That's what lewdness is. In verse 25 of Romans, it says, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped the ser- and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And you see that where they've gone, it wasn't something that God had commanded them or God had just left them or because they didn't really understand, they ended up there is a willful thing. They knew God. And they wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want that accountability, and so they've walked off. And so back over in Ephesians, reading back through verses 17 on to 19, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, and the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who have been past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness. To work all in cleanliness with greediness. And the interesting thing is that when he's talking about this, is that every person before they came to Christ either was at that place or was heading that direction, right? If you go back over and you read in first in, in the first chapter of Romans, basically what that whole first chapter is talking about the depravity of man. That left without God, that's where we end up is completely separating ourselves from God, separating ourselves from that accountability or that rulership that he desires and that we are created to be under. And so the world walks away and they, he gives them over that uncleanliness um, and all those different ones that we talked about through those verses. And um, These are great verses when you guys are reading through um, and talking about Pharaoh and he's hardening his heart. Because what happens if you go through and you read about him hardening his heart and then it says God hardened his heart, as you go through it, you really understand it when you read the first chapter of Romans and you read through this, that it was a process they were going through, and so God gave them over to it, and then God used it as a purpose, using Pharaoh to be able to bring his glory and to show his people who he was, that he was over those gods, and to show his power to all the world. And so you get to see that, that God, because a lot of times what will happen is that you, people and critics will take those verses and say, well, see, God is evil because he can make a man evil. You know, and saying that his heart was hard. And I, it's, yeah. These are great verses to go back to to help you understand, though, and what he means by that. That it was, first of all, Pharaoh's desire to go that way and where he went with it. So, verse 20. In verse 20, he says, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your form and conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which, is, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And I love that verse in verse 20 because what it's saying right there is it says, but you have not so learned Christ. There's no other words that are added in there. It does not say you have learned of Christ or you have learned about Christ. Because the thing is, is that a person can learn a lot about Christ or of Christ and not know him, right? We can learn a lot about Hillary, and whoever else you want to say that's in a long distance that we'll actually never know or understand or actually get to meet, right? You can know about them. You could read about them. You could even understand a little bit there. But what it's talking about here is it says you've not learned Christ. It's like knowing Him in an intimate way. And the thing is is that you look at all these, these people that are so far off or even older people that have died away and passed on. Well, Christ lives and so we can know Him today. And so we haven't so learned Christ. So what he's saying right here is he wants to jump to the other side. You guys haven't learned him. Or you guys have learned him. You haven't learned. You get rid of the old way, the the world. And that's what he steps into next in verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now how are we taught by him? How are we taught by him? It's the word, isn't it? That's where we have to go back to. You guys want to know Jesus. You have to go back to the word to know him. It says that he is the word, doesn't it, in John 1. That's where we have to go back to in another place if you want to look at it and just showing what Christ, look over in Luke 24, 27. This is an awesome verse that Christ is saying, hey, you want to know me? You need to know the scriptures. In Luke 24, 27. And this is where he's talking, you know, to different people here. He's on the the road to uh, Emmaus. And he's talking. He says in verse twenty, uh, we will start in twenty five. Then he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets and what all, all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into His glory?" And verse twenty seven is where it's at. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them. He expounded, yeah, he expounded to them in all the scriptures that the things concerning Himself. So he went through all the scriptures with these guys, these guys that were slow to believe, and he showed himself. He showed where he was in all those scriptures. And I had, there was one time we went to a church in, in the Springs, and it was so neat, the pastor went back and he talked about sacrifice. And he started at the very beginning uh, with Adam and Eve and having to kill the animal to, to be able to put the clothes on them. And he goes clear back up to the cross, and it was so neat because if you go through that study through the Old Testament, you get to see the sacrifice and how specific it becomes that it had to be Jesus. And it's so neat to get to see, the, you know, it goes on to the first fruits, being the first fruits. And it goes on to being the lamb, and it goes on to being God providing the lamb. And and it goes on. It's a neat thing if you guys ever study that. But Christ showing himself that, hey, you want to know me? I'm in the scriptures. Another one you guys can write down is John 5.37. I'm sorry, that's a 39. So John 5.39 is another one where he talks about that. So back in Ephesians it says, But if indeed you have not heard him, and have not been taught by him, as the truth is, is in Jesus. You want to look for truth? It's in Him that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now jump over to John 11. John chapter 11, verse 28. Or sorry, thirty eight. John eleven, thirty eight. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this story, but it goes right along with what we're talking about. It says, Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb, it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, you guys know it's Lazarus. Said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth, with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. And what an awesome picture it is for us, because here's this stench. You know, Martha's saying, Oh, man, don't do that. That guy is getting rotten. I don't know if you guys have been around rotten flesh. It is disgusting. It smells really bad. Just quick story. We were at the dump. My buddy jumped off the trailer to go throw some carpet away. Well, sometimes the the county throws all the dead carcasses, the deer carcasses there. Oh, it was such a bad smell. He went right through it with his foot. And it was just death coming out. Death was, it was so horrible and stinky. I know last time that Sean gave the example, he used Isaac, but I wouldn't do that because Isaac is (laughs) named. You remember that, (laughs) Chuck? Poor Isaac. But yeah, this stench that was there in just what our formal life was and putting it off and coming out with those grave clothes. They, he says to them, go and loose him from those. And that's exactly the picture he's given us here in Ephesians is that you put off those old grave clothes. You guys, we were dead and he's raised us. We talked about that powerful resurrection that he's brought us through, that spiritual resurrection that we've been p- taking part of and later on that we physically get to take part of. And it's so awesome that why would we want to drag those things behind us, those nasty, stinky, sweaty, you know, I guess they're not sweaty because you weren't really sweating when you're dead. But dragging those with you and keeping those with you. The whole point of it is get rid of everything that he said there, and he's going to go into another little list of things, is to give away, get away from those, put it off, and to go and put on those new clothes. To go and put on Jesus' And if you guys want a very good explanation of putting on Jesus and through this whole thing is go through Romans 5 to Romans 9. That whole section right there, this is kind of like the paraphrased version, the, the, the outline of what those verses are, and it talks about that. It talks about what we were in before and what we are in Christ, and it's such a neat little part of Scripture. But you get to see that, guys, we need to step up and start taking off like what it says in verse 22. It says, you put off concerning your former conduct. That dead man, that old man. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. The thing is, if you guys look in the world and the people, they keep just getting worse and worse, don't they? I know a lot of you guys that have seen friends or family that have been addicts and you've seen them go into be restored, but they didn't really want to have anything to do with God, and they come back out, and they do okay for a while, but they relapse, and it's even worse than the first time. Maybe even in your personal lives, there's been a sin that you guys have been struggling with, and it's like you've come to that conquering point, and the Lord's, you know, conquered, and then all of a sudden you find yourself falling back into it, and it's even worse than it was before. Left to our own flesh, left to that depravity, that, that death, it always gets worse. Decay is something that will always get worse. There's no way that it just stays the same. A dead body does not just stay at one point and keep going that way. It always is decaying. But now we have this new life, this this awesome life that it says right there that He's given us and be renewed by in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. The truth again. Looking back to Jesus and Him being the truth, we get to be in that true righteousness. And that holiness, that true being set apart. And moving on in verse 25, therefore putting away, and now he's going to go on and he says, therefore again, so because of that, because you're putting on this new and you're putting off the old, here's the things, and he gets very specific on what things to cast off. Just in case you guys didn't know that that was one of those old grave clothes, he's going to go through it and he's going to tell you, that's an old grave clothes, that's something that needs to be put off. So he says, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are all members of one another. I think this is one of the hardest ones. Because whoever knows that you're lying, I mean, there's there are times you get caught in a lie, but it might be rare, and the longer you've gotten away with it, or even exaggerating, it's kind of like, well, it always makes me feel like a better person, or the other people think I'm better. I know I've even caught myself sometimes where you, you You exaggerate a story or or you even make up a story that never even happened. You're like, "What in the world did I just do that for? Like they could care less. What did that need to be added to my life? You know now I got to keep up on this lie because the next time they might refer to it, and I'll be like, "What that never happened?" <laughs> or however it goes, but one of the hardest ones is that lying because lying saves face, or at least we think it does, right? Somebody asks us how something goes, we may not give all the truth we want to just give you know, the brighter side of it. When they're actually asking, and what it's talking about within the fellowship, guys, we don't do that to each other because we're members. You can't do that. That breaks down. Remember we talked about that? Lie destroys. Lies cause division. And even the little stuff where we're talking and we're trying to keep ourselves built up, it's not about us. So that's one of the things that if you keep lying and using lies in your life, that's one of those grave clothes that God's asking you to put off. Stop lying. Just go in the face value, and and God is enough. Jesus Christ is enough for you, and people will love you because of that. And if they don't, they have no idea what they're doing. They don't understand the love of Christ. So don't be worried about it. In verse 26, it says, And be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, uh, nor give place to the devil. And this, be angry and do not sin, it's one of those ones that's like, okay, the Bible commanded me to be angry. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm all right with that because that's easy for me. But then it says, do not sin. And we know, I know for me, one of the stories that goes right back to is Jesus in the temple, right? There was a point where he was angry, but he didn't sin. It was a righteous anger. And what he's talking about is like what this says with Lot and he's just vexed, you know, the unrighteousness in that town. Just being angry with what the sin in this world, but not sinning. And if you guys look and it has a little continuation over in uh, Psalms 4.4 is where he gets that scripture from. And there's a little bit of tag on the end of that. A little bit of more scripture there. I thought I could get to it faster. Psalms four. There it is. Psalms 4.4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. I thought that was awesome because it took her right to the bed. The place where we love to fester. And let it just get us so angry and all the things that we should have said and the things I'm going to say to them next time. And if only I could beat them down this time. And, you know, all these scenarios that go through our head. If they say this, I'm not going to let them get away with that. And all these stupid things that go on. And I love that he puts it right there. Be angry, don't sin. And then it, that next part, he even puts it again in, in Ephesians, in going to bed. As if there's something that, something that happens in that time that God knew about. and says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's something, and it's not one of those things that it's a religious deal, like, okay, i got to go back and think about all the things I'm angry with and go to my special place so I don't go to bed angry. And what it's talking about is get over it. It's one of those things that just needs to be dealt with. Don't continue, don't let it fester, it just needs to be given to him. We go to the other scripture, it says, take every thought captive, right? That means to go and chain it up, to put the handcuffs on it, and then lead it to Christ so that it's with him. He's the one that will take care of it. And that's how we deal with those thoughts that come to us. So we don't sit there and just destroy ourselves of what we're going to do next time or how we're going to act. Because I would guarantee every one of those little thoughts is usually from the flesh. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about you guys. I usually don't sit there and think, hey, I'm going to tell them how much I love them next time. And, oh, it's going to be such a great opportunity to put my arm around them. And <laughs> usually it doesn't go there. I wish it did. The next one is don't give place to the devil. In James 4 7. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't give him any place. And you guys know plenty of times in your life you can give place to him. The things that you guys go ahead and you look at, you watch, even the little side things maybe that are just a blur, you're giving yourself a place to go. You're giving him that step, that position that he can hold in your life, that anger, even those thoughts that you keep festering in your mind, you're giving him a place to go. And the Bible says don't even give him that position. The next one, verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands uh, what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. And I love how that scripture is. It doesn't just say, hey, stop stealing and leave it there. It shows them that it's so much better to be able to give to other people than to take from them. It's so much better to look out for other people. And especially now we're in Christ, we no longer need to do that. We don't need to be stealing things. We just need to be going out there and let's, you know, Lord's given us hands, let's go and use them and then we can even help other people that are actually in need. And that whole outlook, that giving out. In verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good, and good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's a great one. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Watch your mouth is basically what it's saying. Over in Colossians 3.8, it says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Back in high school, these guys decided that it would be okay to cuss because there was no scripture that actually said, Don't cuss. They couldn't find it. And so they decided, You know, it's just words, whatever. We'll just communicate with each other then. And it felt so awkward to do it. And I ended up not going along with them in their venture on, hey, we can swear now. And you got to remember, this is Christian school we're going to, so it was a big deal. Okay. Well, getting out of that, and I really researched it, and I want to see, God, is this really a thing? And you come across these scriptures, and it's like, don't let any filthy thing come out of your mouth. The thing with cuss words is that if you guys ever hear somebody start cussing and ranting and raving, who do you think they're with? Jesus or the world? What would your automatic first thought go? Oh, they're not saved. You know, I need to, I'm going to act differently with them. I'm going to, I'm going to try to share Christ with them, and then after you share Christ with them, they're like, oh yeah, I go to church over here. You're just like, okay, all right. (laughs) Why are you still acting as the world then? And it's one of those things that's blatant, and I know people don't think it's very potent, and I may have told you this story before, but my grandpa and him, and when he had his stroke, that when he would try to communicate with anybody, all could come out as cuss words, that they're stored in a different part of your brain. They're very potent. And not just that, we can talk about the dirty jokes, we can talk about the dirty things that we you know, talk about or the things that go on at work. God is asking us, hey guys, that's part of those grave clothes. Put it off. You're done with that. He's not saying you're going to hell if you guys still cuss or anything. He's saying, no, 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 you've matured. I've given you this new man, I've created this new man for you to walk in. You guys don't need to talk like that anymore. Put it off. Do what's right, you know, when it says, but what is good and necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So watching what comes out of our mouth that we may build each other up. In verse 30 it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And what a sad thing is when we grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's a great verse to be able to use to show that the Holy Spirit is a person. That he's not just a force. You can't grieve a force. But you can grieve a person. And it's unfortunate that when we take ourselves to that place of, you know what, I love these grave clothes. (laughs) They're comfortable for a little bit, and it ends up grieving him. Because the thing is, is that what he's given us, the power that he's given us, that now we're in Jesus, that baptism he's brought us into, and here we are still wanting to hold on and not put off the old man. Verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and then the last verse 32, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What a great thing to have at the very last, because here's the thing that you put on. So one of the things that you put on is that you're tender hearted. Another thing that you put on is that you're kind. That you're forgiving. And then even puts an example of you want to know what forgiveness is? It's like what God did for you. So if you're having a hard time forgiving somebody, just think about your own life and what Christ did for you and what he forgave. And if you still think it's too big of a deal to forgive somebody else, you need to go before him and let him uh, you know, talk to you through some of the other scriptures that he has. But those things that we need to be able to put on. And so if you guys look at your lives and you see some of those grave clothes that are still there, that's one of those things that we take back to Him and we say, you know what, Lord? I'm sorry for keeping these things with me. That was the old life. I need to put these off, Lord. And that new man that you've created for me, I'm so excited to just live in it. And then you put on that new man and what he talks about there. So I encourage you guys, if there's things that need to be dealt with him, that deal with it. Don't just let you know the Spirit talk to you and then oh, I'll get done with it later. I'll deal with it later. Make sure you guys go before him because all he's wanting you to do is just to get closer and grow in him. And then we can be that light that he's called us to be and we can be that example out there and be excited about other people getting to see, right? getting excited and seeing other people turn away from that world and come and get to see how awesome it is to be with Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use us in that way. Lord, that you would use us as your tools. And uh, Lord, just as we walk throughout this life, there's so many different things that you challenge us with, the, the things that we continue to go back to, those sins, Lord. And I just thank you so much that your mercy is new every day, Lord, that you're ready to deal with us. And Lord, it's not in the sense of you you can't stand us and you're over us, Lord, but you just continue just to love us. Lord, I thank you so much for just speaking to us through your scriptures and telling us that you love us over and over again. Lord, I ask that we would respond to it. In my own life, Lord, that you keep bringing stuff you know, to the forefront that I can see that I need to bring to you and just lay before you, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for creating that new man and that we have no more hopelessness, Lord, like we were in the world. And Lord, I ask you, you bring people to us that we could show, we could give them the hope that's in us, Lord, we could explain to them. And uh, Lord, that your spirit would just work. And Lord, we could be your messengers like you've called us to be. And Lord, just, we want to serve you this week. And so we ask you bring people in our lives that we need to serve. Lord, the people that we need to talk to you uh, about you, the people that are coming with hopelessness, Lord, that we be bold and give them that hope. I know there's so many people that are just needing you out there. And Lord, we could just show them how to seek you. And Lord,. Um, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We thank you so much for raising us. We love you so much, Lord, and I just pray this in your name. Amen.